Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to welcome our next guest on Be Brave at Work, Linda Rossetti. Linda is an expert on organizational and individual transformation, and her 30-plus year career has been focused on strategic innovation and business transformation, both organic and through mergers and acquisitions. Early in her career, Linda worked on the finance side of business transformation by funding leverage buyouts, as a loan officer at the infamous Bank of Boston. Following receiving her MBA at Harvard University, Linda worked on next-generation business models at CDI, a strategy consulting firm spun off from Bain & Company, and she later focused on digital transformation with eMaven Incorporated, a venture capital-backed technology strategy company where she served as CEO. Linda then joined the global leader in records management, Iron Mountain, where she partnered with the CEO to transform this physical records management giant into a digital leader. While there, Linda served as Executive Vice President of Human Resources and Administration, a C-suite role responsible for 21,000 employees in 37 countries. Wow. She and her team established a human capital infrastructure and integrated more than 200 acquisitions. Over the past decade, however, Linda has expanded her portfolio to include researching, writing, and advocating for a profoundly new approach to individual and organizational transformation, and this is what I hope we will talk about mostly today. Lindsay's interest in business transformation has also translated to more than a decade of involvement in Golden Seeds, an angel capital network focused on emerging women-led companies. She is also the author of Women in Transition, Reinventing Work and Life, which is a five-star rated Amazon top seller. And as if that is not all enough, she also hosts the podcast, Destination Unknown. Linda, welcome to Be Brave at Work. Hi, Ed. It's so nice to be with you. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I read a bio of you, yet I know there is so much more we could talk about. I could probably have read your bio for hours. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about 
you know, really what you're doing since you've left Iron Mountain and the work that you've been focusing on over the last 10 years of your career. Sure. And, and some of that stuff was the Wayback Machine. I really uh, <laughs> I give you a lot of credit for reading it. Thank you. Some of that I haven't thought about in a long time. So I run a consultancy right now called the Transition Institute, and it is an organization that focuses on individual and organizational transformation. And it has really been, ever since I left Iron Mountain, it has been my interest to try to understand what really happens when we shift, right? When we make big shifts. And a lot of that work has been uh, centered on research that I've done with individuals and what happens not only in career, but in life when we make major shifts, you know, whether we've lost a job or changed careers, moved geographically, you know, survived a health issue and, and countless other things. And so I'm fascinated by this notion of what is required to do that well? And, you know, I realized when I started the work that I had no idea, <laughs> even though I had been working in pieces of it, you know, my whole life. And so, you know, right now I, I do some consulting, but mostly I do research and advocacy. I have some really interesting research coming up with some professors at Simmons University on the impact of COVID on career aspirations. So I have a portfolio career, I guess, is what goes on it. And it's, it's good fun. And I think I've learned a lot most days. Well, these days, I think many people have portfolio careers. It seems to be a, a popular choice. You get to do a lot of different things with a lot of different people. And I think, Linda, I'm curious first to understand maybe a little bit more about why did you decide, you know, after leaving corporate America and transitioning to your own independent practice, you know, what was it about this idea of shifts or transition that intrigued you so much that you decided to invest your time and energy in it. Well, you know, you, you know, you might you might be interested in this Ed because I think it was partly my own inability to reconcile how I felt, right? You know, I went through what was nearly a 30-year career kind of building this career persona. And then I was like, you know what? There's more, right? That just it doesn't do enough or there's something wrong with it. And I think the other thing that motivated me to do that is the reaction of other people when I started to talk about that. And, you know, they're like, what are you talking about? You know, just get, you know, go get another job, get back to work, you know, basically just go back in the game. And I was like, no, you guys aren't hearing this. There's something going on. And so I think it was this notion of I had an experience that I really didn't have any context for. And when I tried to bounce that around to people that were around me, you know, our peers, you know, you and I work together and our peer group or those, you know, that I had worked with previously, they kind of looked at me cross-eyed, like, what are you talking about? You know, and so that kind of started me on what has been now a decade of research. I did two 18-month research cycles that talked to nearly 300 people on what happens. And so I've gotten very formalized on the research that I've done. And, and you know, I've learned a lot. I'm sure you have learned a great deal. And so I'm wondering, Linda, you know, is this a pattern that you observed that you thought was happening and suddenly you see it and say, wow, this idea of transition and shift is significant and I want to know more about it? Or was it your own experience that led you to believe that this is something of interest and it would be good for you to research and investigate? Well, you know, I think my own experience opened my eyes to how prevalent it was. And now I think that we are at this post-pandemic moment there's three things that are happening, right? That first of all, the pandemic has caused so many of us to say, hey, wait a minute, what is it exactly that I'm doing here? And does it fit like kind of my assumptions about what life should or could be? Also, 
you know, technology has radically changed the workforce and has changed the, the profile of work for many people. And, and that is causing us to rethink, you know, careers, right? You know, average tenure now is three years of a job, right? That's very different from when you and I started our careers. And the other thing is longevity is extending you know, our working life and our, our lives in general. So I think I was made aware of the prevalence, but now there's kind of these macro factors that make this concept of how do we shift so much more critical. And so I'm pretty happy to be kind of doing the work that I do because it is, it's pretty relevant. And yeah, and, and I get to talk to really fun people like you about it. There you go. Well, look, you know, I think many of us could observe that there was a time when we looked at a resume and you expected to see somebody staying at a company for 10 or 20 years. And you slowly saw this shift to these multiple changes. And at first, people thought it was bad because it maybe demonstrated a lack of commitment or a lack of stability. And I couldn't stay anywhere and I had to keep moving. And today we expect it, right? We expect people to grow their career by moving from organization to organization, et cetera. And I'm just wondering, Linda, if you could share for our listeners, you know, what are a couple of examples of shifts or transitions that people might experience? They may be obvious to all of us, right? But I'd love to hear from you as a researcher, you know, what are a couple of examples of a, a shift or a transition a person might have? Well, you know, it, it dovetails right to your work, Ed, which is the first one, and maybe the simplest one is to be brave, right? And it is to really take a step in a direction that might feel uncomfortable. That is that in and of itself is a move that I think starts a, a change in a behavior pattern that that can be pretty transformative in somebody's life. You know, we take one step, but then if we take another and another, then all of a sudden, you know, we're in a different spot. And, you know, the transitions that I usually work with are those where there's a shift in what holds value or meaning to someone. You know, very often, you know, I'll talk to people who say, you know, earlier in my career, you know, I wanted to be a GM by the time I was 40. And, and then, you know, they kind of get underway and they say, you know, that doesn't hold that much water for me anymore. You know, now I want to do something else. I may want to do something more with has impact on things that I care about. And so the shifts that I see mostly in the transition work I do are really anchored on shifting values and, and things that mean something to the individual or people gain awareness to the things that mostly are meaningful to them. You know, when we start out in our careers that, you know, again, you and I are kind of in the same genre. When we went out, we went out kind of, you know, we were there, we were going to be whatever that career title was that we were involved in. And that's really changed, as you said. And, you know, when somebody transforms, what happens is they change from being kind of externally defined, right, using external things like a occupation or their education or, you know, the schools they attend, what have you, to set their definition and expectation for who they are. And that usually moves when somebody transitions. They they kind of turn down the volume on that and they turn up the volume on the things that hold value and meaning to them. Those are the transitions that I get involved in the most. And anything can trigger that, right? A job loss, a geographic move, a divorce, a remarriage, a marriage, a zillion things. You know, I, you know, I sometimes I say a good sneeze, you know, I mean, anything really can, you know, it's really... When are we all of a sudden aware that things are shifting? And sometimes you have to be brave to recognize that those shifts are underway. Because usually we're socialized to do almost everything in our power to ignore those shifts, right? To kind of tamp down, just keep going, put our shoes on. And, you know, it, it, takes, it takes some courage just to listen to those shifts and then to begin to act. 
Well, I'm still mystified by the impact of the pandemic on people's perception of work. I haven't done any research. I've certainly read a few articles, but, you know, it does seem as though we were on a, you know, treadmill just working and going through life and just doing what we thought we should be doing. And suddenly something kicked us out of the workplace and we were forced to be home. And, you know, our whole life had to change in many ways. And it forced us to think about it in a different way than we had before. And I'm just curious, based on your research and, you know, the folks that you have talked to, you know, is it this external influence that forced us to think about work a little bit differently than before? Or is it something else that was happening that like the uh, perfect storm, you know, three things just all happened at the same time. And suddenly I don't want to go back to work at the workplace. I want to work from home or, you know, there's all these new criteria that we have that are making things a little bit more interesting and in some cases complicated. Sure. Well, um, it's such an interesting question. I'm not sure I have the answer, but I will say that, you know, we're, first of all, we're fortunate, right? You and I and many of the people that I'm sure listen to your podcast, um, we have the option to work from home, right? We have that uh, we have that option and not everyone does, right? You know, knowledge workers predominantly have that option. But I will say some of the research that is not mine, but others, right, have said that, you know, other scholars that have studied this have said that, Actually, what's different in the pandemic is people had time all of a sudden that that, you know, they had time to reflect. And that's actually a step that most people typically deny themselves. Right. You know, if they have a day that they have to be at the office or they have to you know, be involved with their family, they want to jam a workout in there or they want to, you know, I don't know, catch a movie, what have you, that we never actually gave ourselves time to reflect and that it's less about where there's some scholars who will argue that it was less about uh, the dynamics of the pandemic itself, but a byproduct that we actually had reflective time. And that all of a sudden allowed people to be aware of things that maybe were misfit, right? You know, maybe they had a job that they were busy, they liked it, but, you know, it wasn't what they had expected it to be, or it stopped connecting to their passion long ago. And so I think, I don't know, researchers will be on that one, Ed, for a long time. But, you know, I think that the time to reflect is a hard one to get, right? I know you're a busy person, you know, you run a business, you, you know, you have a family and all sorts of other commitments, you know, spending, you know, some reflect time is, it's a tough thing to make sure happens, but it pays dividends. Well, it is one of my new favorite words, which is reflection, right? I, I, I believe our answers lie in our future. And while it's important to consider the past and think about the past and understand the past, we don't want to get caught in the past and stuck in the past. So when I work with clients, I try to have them reflect on the past. And I use that word very specifically, not remember the past, right? So reflection is I can look at it like a mirror and say, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. Now, how can I apply that going forward versus remembering it and reliving it? which may not be helpful for anyone. You know, it's so interesting you say that because there is a lot of research that I've bumped into that is all trying to get people away from past anchor, right? To say, you know, oh, well, I did A, B, and C, so then the very next thing I should do is D. And really, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do D. You can do any of the other letters in the alphabet and then some. So I think what you're onto is really empowering for people that it allows them to not be anchored on kind of progression off of what their past has been. And I think that particularly people who are willing to explore transitions, right, which are different than changes, but explore transitions, they want to be informed, as you said, by the past, but certainly not regulated by it. And it sounds as though, Linda, and I'm not trying to characterize your work, but it sounds as though some of the transitions people might experience are value-based 
transformation. You know, maybe they thought one way about gun control and had a career that had something to do with that. Now, for some reason, they feel differently and they want to transition out. And other events feel a little bit more uh, transactional or tactical, which is I decided to have a baby. I stepped out of the workplace for 15 years and now I want to get back at work and I feel fully competent and ready to go. But my resume has this space. You know, are those the types of transitions and ways that you are doing the work that you're doing in order to help people understand those types of things better? Yeah, absolutely. So my first book that I wrote was called Women in Transition, Reinventing Work and Life. And it dealt with a lot of techniques to help with people who want to re-engage in the workforce. And it could be someone who has been home um, because of care responsibilities, but it could be for lots of other reasons. And a lot of the tricks, you know, your listeners may be interested, the tricks that we play quickly in that game is to step away from telling our story on a chronological basis and move to value, right? So that, you know, you can't say, you know, oh, well, I was, you know, the head of uh, customer service at Akamai and then at Goldman Sachs and then I was home for 15 years, right? You kind of have to tell the story differently and say, you know, I'm really interested in the value that we can provide for customers. And I did that at Akamai and I did it at Goldman Sachs and now I'm ready to do it for you. And that, you know, all of a sudden doesn't drop your listener into this 15 year gap. It helps them kind of follow your story about the value you can bring. And that's one of a handful of tricks that I talk about in that book. And I'm excited to say that my second book, I'm behind you there, Ed. My second book is coming out in May of 23. And it's a non-gendered look at disruption in our life and how we can navigate it. So I continue to be fascinated by this topic and think there's a lot more we can we can explore about it. Well, you are an expert in this topic, and it is clear that your research is demonstrating that it is not gender-based, right? That uh, disruption, transition, change, evolution happens to anybody at any time, you know, throughout their career. It's so true. You know, people that are listening might remember there was this book in the, I want to say the late 70s. It was called Passages by Gail Sheehy. And she convinced everyone that our lives kind of progressed in these like age-related milestones. You know, so in our 20s, we did certain things in our 30s. And I can tell you with great confidence that the research that has happened in the last 40 years has completely decoupled age from any of these progressions. So, you know, I meet people in my work who are 22 and 72, and they're transitioning, or I meet people who are those same ages who never transition, right? And so it really, you know, it's about being brave and bringing our voices forward. And when I say voice, it isn't kind of our audible voice. It's kind of our truth and our ability to kind of access who we are and our willingness to to live that. And, and that is not an insignificant choice, right? You know, I can remember thousands of times being in the conventional workforce and being, you know, shielding that voice and adopting a voice that I knew would be successful in that environment. Um, and, you know, I think that particularly in the work that I do when people want to make shifts, a lot of the initial work is getting a better sense for where their voice is today, because they may have become decoupled from that over requirements of their life, whether it to be successful in the workforce or to, you know, maintain some kind of peace at home or what have you for all sorts of choices. And so it's a really exciting place. And I think it is at a time and I, I look at like, you know, I have teenagers, I know you have young adult children. My hope is that Younger generations, right? I'm in my late 50s. 
younger generations are much more willing to maintain integrity in their own voice instead of, you know, deferring to the accepted voice in the environment that they're in. Because I think if they can maintain that, we'll all be better off. Absolutely. And Linda, I would love to end our conversation today with just some thoughts from you as it relates to bravery and transition. And one of the reasons I thought we would have a great conversation, which we have had, is because I believe there is a direct relationship between navigating a transition effectively and behaving in a variety of ways. But one of the ways is with bravery, that you just don't open the door and find the white knight standing there, you know, saying, OK, here's your next career. Congratulations. It requires a certain amount of skill and capabilities, including bravery. And I'm just wondering, either in your research or your work with clients, you know, what have you seen or, you know, what are some thoughts that you might have for our listeners about being brave? Well, I can answer it best from my own path, right? Because I've taken an unconventional path through my career. And, you know, today and running a small consultancy and doing work with clients, you know, bravery is a daily practice. And it's something that is hard, right? Bravery to me is very hard because some days I'm tired or I'm just not as confident. And yet I still have to summon the bravery to take the next step. Because I think that ultimately change that lasts, whether you call it change or transformation or whatever happy word you want to put on it, those that are going to stick are those that become behavioral, right? It's the it's taking a step and another step and another step. And so by 27 steps, it's, it's almost effortless because it's so much ingrained in who you are. And I think that that's my position on bravery, that every day I try to walk one teeny step fearful away from what's comfortable. And then I just keep moving the bar up, right? My son is a big basketball player. And I think it's like the Stephen Curry, uh, you know, impact, right? You know, this guy changed basketball because he kept throwing three-point shots, right? Uh, you know, um, we used to think that was unusual. Now it's the norm. Now, you know, you can go stand at half court and show us how you can get it in. You know, I'm just suggesting that, you know, bravery allows us to completely change the stage. And so I applaud the work that you do, Ed. I think it's fantastic. Your books have been great. I have given them to many of my clients and I applaud the work that you do. I hope you keep going. And I'm so honored that you asked me to talk with you today. Well, we are thrilled, Linda, that you joined us today on Be Brave at Work. And I have really enjoyed our conversation today, as I am sure our listeners have as well. And I'm just wondering if people want to find out more about your practice and more about you, where can they go to get that information? Yeah, the website is the best place, lindarosetti.com. Although it's a, it's a tough last name, it's two S's and two T's. So uh, Linda and it's R-O-S-S-E-T-T-I.com. And, you know, that's the best place to get all the all the juicy bits. Everything Linda. And really, I, I truly, I, I hope that you don't edit this part out of the, of the podcast, <laughs> that your work is great. Your books are fantastic. I think you're doing wonderful, wonderful work. And I'm always confident when I send people to you. And I hope that people choose to work with you because I know those who do are delighted to have you walking next to them. I completely agree. We will not edit that out. Linda, thank you so much for your time today. It has been great speaking with you on Be Brave at Work. Thanks, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms, 
We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.